Hello and welcome to the Treehouse Letter where we share true stories, essays, and letters on everything that matters and just as much that doesn't. I am Milan Shatton, your host and producer. Uh, this podcast is titled Essays That Changed Me, Allison Lurie, When Most Boys Join the Armed Forces. Allison Lurie wrote Their Harvard an essay included in her 2019 collection. She attended Radcliffe, which was the sister school to Harvard, enough distance away to house the school's poorer relations, as she calls the women undergraduates. Harvard was an all-male school in the 1940s when she was there. She was in her 90s when she had died or passed away in 2020 after a long life. She had won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction as a novelist and satirist. Her writing is lucid and funny, each word carefully chosen for its meaning and context. The style, along with her self-deprecation, make the message compelling and humorous, helping me to empathize without pity, at least in this essay. Here are two excerpts from their Harvard. When a female classmate attempted to attract a lecturer's attention, we raised our eyebrows or shook our heads. We considered such behavior rather pushy, possibly a sign of emotional imbalance. A second excerpt. Despite these disadvantages, my friends and I were not unhappy in Cambridge. Most of the time, we were in a mild state of euphoria. <laughs> and this is an expert excerpt um, after she lists in Chronicles what women didn't have, that they could not use the libraries, they could not join the dramatic club, that or work at the Crimson, etc. The words at the end of the first, emotional imbalance, are the stock phrase for men of a certain age, but maybe that applies to men of any age, depending on the individual, who cannot or refuse to understand or accept women or their wives. The first sentence closes the paragraph with the words emotional imbalance in the final position, making the most important. And it works as a kind of one-liner. I'll say it again. When a female classmate attempted to attract the lecturer's attention, we raised our eyebrows or shook our heads. We considered such behavior rather pushy, possibly a sign of emotional imbalance. The similarities of the all-male Harvard to my own experience at West Point struck a chord. And not so much with the overt mandate to integrate women at the academy, that was signed into law in 1976. No, it has more in common with the sentiment that persisted. West Point, the faculty, the chain of command had been part of an all-male experience and the growing pains of women in the 80s were real. Lurie's essay in this aspect was entertaining and informative. Details about the, quote, baggy cotton stockings that left many inches of frozen thigh exposed, quote, and how the Radcliffe women were, quote, what would now be called dogs, ugly, charmless grinds, so unlike the glamorous date from Wellesley or Smith. <laughs> the 19th century uniforms I wore at the military academy had little to do with a woman's body a body which some degraded as thunder thighs or Hudson hips. In addition to the vestiges of sexism, it was an era of textile antiquity. 
for men and for women. Think about it. There was no jog bra or athletic bra or compression shorts and fast dry fabrics. These were inventions of the future. Similarities to Radcliffe were spot on, and I cringed and laughed reading of Lurie's second class life. Now, all this is worth sharing by way of a start on the titular topic that Lurie was keen to examine, right? The, the Radcliffe versus Harvard. It was fun, even illuminating as this was. What changed me or affected me in this essay was her frank discussion of the war and, by contrast, men's role in it. She begins her sixth paragraph in the first person plural, we. And we refers, to, as she does, to women, the women of Radcliffe. And here's the first uh, quote. We also felt lucky because being female, we were not fighting in Europe or the South Pacific. The rest of that paragraph details the effects of war on lifestyle. When she was a child and more broadly, the rations such as gas, meat, butter, and sugar, the tasteless white margarine, the recycled wool in their clothing. All right, she continues, and this is a longer excerpt. Men, ooh, I'm hearing fireworks going off. It is July. Men were superior partly because they were, would be, or later on and most impressively of all, had been in the war. Most of the boys we had gone out with during high school had joined the armed services, and those we met as freshmen usually vanished at the official draft age of 18 and a half. Harvard Square and Harvard Yard were full of V-12 Navy officers in training, who I, who I observed as, quote, marching in the rain with frog-like noises and of ROTC students whose chant was mocked by us as Hotsi Totsi, I'm a Rotsi. <laughs> One of the Radcliffe dorms had been taken over by the waves whose tight unflattering uniforms and evident discomfort as they drilled on our snowy quad, quad evoked both pity and awe. And then later she, she writes, as it is easy now to forget, we did not know which side was going to win the war. We all knew or knew of someone who was killed in action, and there was always the probability that this list would get longer. So here are five key highlights from this passage in a 2019 book, okay, in this collection, her recent book. Most of the boys we had dated joined the armed forces. Those we met as freshmen vanished at draft age, 18 and a half years old. We all knew or knew of someone killed in action. Men were superior partly because they had been in the war. Women were lucky they were not fighting. So this was another world, a world inhabited by Alice and Laurie. The essay was published in the 80s, but still, she saw to it that it was a part of this 2019 book, one year before she died. The candor in these statements won't be found today, not that I've come across. In fact, things are quite the contrary with many in my New England town who have no connection with the military, none, do not know a person. It is a reality of numbers, technology, larger population, of geography, of the end of the draft in 1973 and the transition to an all-volunteer force, or AVF. 
I had to revisit the numbers to make sense of her passage about war. Who was this woman, Alice and Laurie, who wrote glibly of life 80 years ago of a country where every male had a stake in its security, its self-defense, its democracy? Will such a world ever be the same with women on the fighting roster? In the 60s, as late as the 60s, many colleges made ROTC compulsory for men. There was a time when men, most of them, had a connection to the military because they served, they trained, and they studied military history. In 1945, when Laurie attended Radcliffe, the U.S. had the largest active fighting force in history with 12 million. Over 8 million were in the army. At the height of Vietnam and the end of the draft, the active force was 3.5 million, with 1.5 million in the army. Now get ready, today, today we have 1.3 million in the active fighting force, with roughly 480,000 in the army. Um, on the site, I have a pretty cool chart from the Pew Research Center that you can see the percentage of the population in active service. So just to give you perspective, the army alone during Second World War was 16 times larger in number than it is today. And the population in 1945 was 139 million. With 12 million on active duty in 1945, that's nearly 9% of the U.S. population. And that's including women and children. What Laurie wrote about in this essay was true. Today, by contrast, fewer than 1.3 million serve out of 332 million, or 0.39%, not even half of a percent. So anecdotally, this is true in my humble experience. As for numbers, in one lifetime, in Lurie's lifetime, this country has grown more out of touch with its military than ever. Presidents and politicians no longer understand service and the military from intimate knowledge to gain through experience. And most Americans simply do not have skin in the game. I am not a fan of the draft and we, we likely do not need to activate it in this era of the professional soldier, but I am worried. I am alarmed at the numbers. When Lurie attended Radcliffe, women did not fight in war as men did. Today, the large majority of Americans do not serve in the military. A few, a very, very slim few, are carrying more and more the burden of the many. I'm gonna close by riffing on Lurie's own line as it fits today. And here it is. We also feel lucky because being American, the 99.61% not in uniform, we are not fighting in Europe or the Middle East or the Pacific. That's the end of today's podcast. Feel free to visit the treehouseletter.com to see uh, the Pew Research, to find links to uh, military manpower throughout US history. And for the footnotes, the kind of Easter egg of the treehouse letter, where we explain uh, what waves are, a US military strength, um, and various links uh, from the letter. 
Um, as always, thank you very much for listening 